Welcome to Authentic Living with Roxanne, a place where we have conscious conversations about things that really matter in our lives. And now, here's your host, Roxanne Derhage. It's uh, Roxanne Derhodge of Authentic Living with Roxanne. Today, I have a special guest, a CEO of Dovaco, and it's Shelly Butler. Shelly is spending uh, her precious time today to talk about what it is to be uh, in leadership and act in, in an authentic way. She brings a breadth of information to other CEOs uh, that are uh, looking at their leadership style and what kind of things that they may be able to shift or tweak in order to be a truly authentic leader. Thanks, Shelley, for spending the time with us. So, Shelley, just um, in your own words, kind of give me a sense about who you are and kind of your path for leadership, because I think that's, that's very key. So just kind of tell me where, what got you started in leadership. Did you just go to school, uh, pursue the traditional kind of uh, undergrad in business, and then on into an MBA, or did you have a different path? I had a completely different path. Um, so my mother uh, was divorced after 25 years of marriage. I found myself uh, living with a single mom who barely could make ends meet. Um, and I had to go to work pretty much right away. At, uh, as soon as I finished high school, pretty much the day I finished high school, she moved to Ontario. Once I got back east because I grew up um, in Calgary, Alberta, for, uh, for my middle school years. But once I came home, I said that I would never leave again. The Maritimes okay. is my blood. So right. um, I actually moved in with my husband now of 33 years, uh, literally the day after graduation. Wow. wow. Yeah. So I had to go to work right away. And I, uh, excuse me, I convinced um, a gentleman I was, uh, I just, I wasn't, I was 18 years old and I had convinced a gentleman that opened up a little computer store in those days, this is 1985. Mm -hmm. And in those days I was selling Vic twenties and Commodore 64s. And, oh, wow. and, uh, and I convinced him that I knew how to use a computer. Okay. I didn't. <laughs> I didn't. So you were, you were, you were able to sell yourself even back then on, um, that was survival. That okay. was survival. How I wanted, wh why I wanted to work at that computer store, I, I don't know, but something spoke to me. I spent the next 15 years of my life there and I learned everything I possibly could. So my education really was hands-on uh, running a small computer store. Um, okay. I was able to bring the computer store from $250,000 a year to $6 million a year in that wow. time frame. And wow. we ran a corporate business. I was no longer selling Commodore 64s and Vic 20s. I kind of went through the era of, you know, the PCs, the Atari STs, the Commodore <laughs> Amigas, you know. So I came up through that era. And of course, having that knowledge, um, uh, how to build a computer, how to manipulate a computer, <laughs> if you will, um, I, had, um, I had some good core knowledge in hardware. Mm -hmm. um, in 
2000, as you know, the hardware boom was gone. Uh, the millennial had come. It was going to take us all out, including every computer. I remember them asking me to do a speech. It was a company called Maricel, and they had asked me to do a speech. I was really young at the time, and it was in St. Andrews by the sea. And they had said, uh, can you talk about hardware and what's going to happen to all of our hardware that's supposed to blow up? And I can remember addressing the audience even back then and saying, you know, there's regional settings and you can just set your date back to like 1989 if you want to, you know, <laughs> like your computer doesn't know it's your 2000, right? I mean, so, you know, I always had that common sense, if you will, sure. uh, you know, what they say is just not all that common today. Um, but I was always able to really think fast on my feet and I was always able to stand by a decision, no matter what kind of decision I made, um, whether it was hiring staff or buying a, a quarter of a million dollars or a half a million dollars worth of these type of PCs, you know, um, um, to sell. So I, I worked in a lot of different areas um, in the computer industry and that just kind of gave me my footing. Uh, starting at uh, Dovaco though was a whole different ball game. So uh, the computer hardware era was ended. Uh, they were one of my clients. I remember I went up to see Diane Doucette and she's one of the co-founders of Dovaco Software and she was very pregnant at the time. And she said to me, um, would you like to help run our company uh, while I'm on maternity leave? I had already told my husband that I would spend time uh, raising our child that was now um, four and I would spend because I worked really long and hard at this uh, a computer store that I would start spending some time with her and uh, look at my career later uh, so I came home and this was like literally like only a few weeks after I had finished one job and um, I came home and I said to my husband no I'm going to go back to work this time I'm going to go on computer software I have been there now for 19 years wow yeah so I went in and I, and I just took what I knew and uh, we only were five maybe maybe five on staff at that time there wasn't very many of us a really small location and um, you know it was kind of the same way I've always run things um, until this was year uh, 2001 in 2003 Eve Doucette joined our company and he mm -hmm. said something to me and it was, Shelly, we will trust everybody until they're um, not to be trusted. Mm. And I really didn't know what that meant. You know, I've always dealt with management in a way that, uh, you know, people are going to steal. You know, you got to kind of watch. Uh, uh, you know, we were dealing with... Um, you know, we were in a corporate environment, uh, even though you only saw the people that you were working with, it were five, six at the time, and um, we had a dress code in place. A lot of policy. Um, with a lot of, uh, um, you know, a lot of uh, locations in those days, there was, you know, procedures and policies. This is the way you answer the phone, and there's a little right, right. how you answer the phone, and um, and like I say, he said this statement to me, people are to be trusted until they're not to be trusted. He was working at another location. He was a vice president at another location at the time. And so I only seen him every Friday. He would come in and do these meetings. Interesting though, um, he, he really kind of started to talk to me in a different way than any other leader had talked to me. And I started really grasping um, some 
a way that we could actually deal with young people coming into working in the IT industry a little bit better than we dealt with them before. I didn't really know what that meant um, at the time, but what it meant for me was, oh, you know what, we're going to get rid of a lot of policies and we're going to have a lot of input from people that come in. Let's learn from them as opposed to to putting these policies on them. And I'll tell you how that happened. Uh, we had a policy about answering the phone. As I said, Eve came into the office one day. There was a customer who was really frantically looking for support. Um, we had a policy that we verify their address and their email address, that it was up to date. You've been on many of those calls, you know? <laughs> yeah. And um, uh, But he was frantic. He needed to get his time in, probably to get his pay or to, to bill or whatever it was for. We do time tracking software. And... Um, I didn't follow procedure. I immediately made sure that he got to support. And Eve said, why didn't you follow procedure? And I said, well, this gentleman really needed to get, he really didn't need me at the time to check his address and postal code. He really needed me to get him to support. Mm -hmm. And Eve just, it was like a light bulb went off and he went, oh my God, from this day forward, we're gonna answer the phone with a purpose. What is the customer's purpose? Not our, not self-serving purpose. We can find out other ways to get customers' addresses up to date. Let's ensure that we answer the phone with a purpose. And we started talking like that. We get you back to work. We answer the phone with a purpose. So we started kind of planting those seeds. It really never, never, all of this never really came to fruition until years later. We planted little seeds here, here and there throughout um, but in 2013 was the real big awakening at Dovaco. Uh, Eve Doucette went to Robin Sharma's first, first Titan Summit. And I tell you, it was a game changer for us. He came back with ideas um, and openings and possibilities that we had never seen before. We doubled down. I went in 2014. Mm. But when I went, I wasn't worthy. Mm. And I realized in that moment that I wasn't worthy. And I was, I had a mask on. I was not worthy not to be a leader, to go to this professional Titan Summit. I wasn't worthy for any of those things. He kept saying, we're going to double down. So, you know, we're going to have two leaders in there and we're going to gather the information and we're going to double down. So we were at the Ritz-Carlton. Not only did I not feel worthy to go to this $10,000 conference with these millionaires because that's what they advertised it as. I was not even worthy enough to get into to be in the Ritz Carlton. Mm. They met me with champagne at the door and they said, Mrs. Butler, Eve got me a sweet. The more I was given, the less worthy I was. Wow. To the point where we walked into this conference. And he was on stage, larger than life. The sounds were going off. The, the music was, was unbelievable, blaring. There was all kinds of uh, gratitudes and intentions and all these things on the screen that was just so powerful. And I remember Eve looking at me and saying, go to the front. We're going to the front. So everybody is running in through this conference to get to the front seats. I was like, I've never seen the madness before. So, okay, okay. You know, I am having a hard time even being at the Ritz-Carlton, staying in their hotel, let alone being in this room. Robin Sharma comes out and he says, we're going to share our truth. For the next four days, we are all going to share our truth. It doesn't matter how much money you make. It doesn't matter what you do for a living, but you are going to share your truth on these four days. I want you all to stand up and I want you to whisper 
your deepest, darkest secret into people's ears as you walk around for this next few minutes. I'm like, what is going on? I'm already like so out of my element. I can't even tell you. People stand up and they start to do it. In my mind, I say to myself, I will forgive my rapist. That's what I said. I will forgive my rapist. So I did it. I stood up and I, I'll never forget her. I leaned into her and I said, I will forgive my rapist. To which she responded, I will forgive my brother-in-law who killed my sister two weeks ago. I'm like, are, is this happening? There was 130 millionaires in the room, yeah? And I realized in that moment, every one of us was not feeling worthy. Every one of us had so much pain had so much pain that unless we released that, unless we lived our truth, we would never, we would constantly be walking around with these masks on of we're great leaders and, you know, patting ourselves on the back, which is ridiculous, right? Absolutely ridiculous. So um, I remember being so overjoyed in that moment and feeling so much strength that I was actually able to release I mean, it was to a stranger. I would have told you that I- Had you ever shared that before with anybody? I have. And that's why I was going to say to you, I would have told you that I was over that pain of my sexual abuse. That mm -hmm. story was no longer with me. Mm -hmm. That story was with me. It was with me so strongly, so strongly. <sighs> Day two of that conference, they came around with like microphones and I said something to the effect that I'm going to go back and I'm going to serve my community. I went back and I started to serve my homeless population that lives in our city. And uh, I made sure that I found a way to release my pain in every way I can. I now speak, I'm now a public speaker for sexual abuse. Um, I don't get paid for it, so I'm not a professional speaker um, because I do not want to get paid for something that I need to give back. That is my release, that is a way for me to, to heal myself but being and living your truth, not standing behind, because I thought everybody could see across my forehead that I was a dirty girl. Mm. I thought everybody knew that I was sexually abused and probably wasn't worthy. The feelings of, of the, the lack of self-worth, um, though, really came into play there. And I realized I was, uh, I was 45 pounds overweight at that time. I was just just really holding on to some stories that were no longer serving me. And um, not only did I come back and, and help other homeless and serve the homeless and serve those people that are sexually abused, but I also came back and served our community at Dovaco to make sure that first and foremost, they served themselves. We fixed that pain. You cannot be the creative and innovative self that you need to be in your job every day and fulfill yourself with those stories, with those pains. So you know why revenue was no longer all that important. That day I, I decided, you know, and I saw Eve's vision now. I saw Eve's vision. It wasn't any more about revenue. It was taking these people that work with us every day and allow them to just be, you know, we're all so much, you know, James Rowe said one time, we're also, we're humans doing, and we forgot to be human beings. Mm -hmm. 
And we're also worried about the bottom line that we're not paying attention to really what needs to be served and what needs to be served as the people in-house because they will make sure you have revenue when they're feeling great about themselves and great about their creativity, they will be at the, the most innovative they could possibly be. You cannot lose by making sure the people that surround you are at their very best. Now you had, I mean, your leadership story started because you, you just, you had some natural ability, I would say, to begin with when you started with the hardware store. Um, because you, you went in and you worked really hard, uh, clearly, right, to go from, to, to help to build that business. And you said you had, you, single mom upbringing, right? Um, so yeah, my dad left at 11. Dad, so what's, what, was, there, was there a value that you gained from that upbringing that somehow led um, your work ethic, ethic or leadership even before um, kind of this epiphany with, um, with the Titans? Yeah, I think it's integrity. Okay. Um, and that really came into play. I always questioned that as well. You know, my mother was a strong woman. I saw that she was, she was able to be that strong woman. My two sisters are very strong women as well. Um, but really, I think that uh, when I had my own daughter, the first and foremost thing that I always seem to talk to her about, even at a very young age, playing with others, is you're born with integrity and nobody can ever take it away from you. Mm. So make sure that you have the utmost of integrity and nobody will ever be able to say, yeah, but, you know, so always show your true authentic self. Don't be ashamed of, of truly who you are um, and um, to this day, you know, I think that I over, over harped on that because to this day, the child, she's 24 years old. She's a school teacher. She's never put on a drop of makeup in her life. You know, she lives the most authentic life, um, ever. My daughter is, is amazing. And, uh, um, and she always is, is truthful as the day is long. I mean, she's, she takes that integrity um, with her wherever she goes. And I certainly, um, that is one of my big values, you know, uh, first and foremost, one of my biggest values is love, integrity, and then health. If I were to have, uh, you know, to, to let you know of my, my three values, I, uh, I highly regard all three. Um, a lot of people question my health integrity, um, but I know that I can't be at my best self, both mentally and physically, if I don't um, hurt myself in the gym every day. And, and this is my gym, actually. I can see that. So you're, that's your home gym, is it? That is my home gym. Awesome. Awesome. Now, so your, your beginning point to leadership was you grew up, you obviously you had some trauma early, um, but you grew up with a mother that demonstrated hard work, yeah. Um, and then you learned the element of integrity quite, quite early. Quite um, well. And it became a living value for you that you, you projected out once you kind of got out there. Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. Now, so when you got into leadership, um, did you know that that's how you were leading, that you were leading from integrity? Because I often say that a lot of leaders, um, they may not be able to define it until they get further on along in their career, in their career, on, in their kind of leadership life cycle. You know, you start off, you kind of have a sense that I want to be a certain way, but you're younger to your point. And then you go into kind of the middle part of your leadership kind of journey where you're kind of learning the, the 
brass tacks of leadership. And then you're at a point now, which it sounds like they call a generative kind of stage of Erickson stage of leadership, where you're now starting to really give back because you, you've kind of, you know, you've, you've been in the trenches, um, you've learned a lot of things, and now you, you have this sense that, whoa, I have this valuable message to give back. And it sounds like you had Eve coming in along with the opportunity for the Titans, but it was always there, but something unleashed in you that really helped you maybe made it clearer, maybe to be able to articulate it. Absolutely. The leaders that surrounded me before were kind of about power and dictatorship, setting the rules, setting the tone, setting the behavior stage, if you will. And all of a sudden, all of a sudden, I had this light bulb moment when we were in the trenches and we were crying, telling everybody our truths, that leadership was about service. Nothing else, like, like nothing else. It blew my mind. I was like, oh my God, I didn't have to be powerful. I didn't feel good in being powerful, right? It took me out of integrity, right? I was a little bit, I, I didn't feel good about that. Um, and I really questioned leadership at that point. And, and uh, uh, because having power and having, having the need to have more power than that guy, was uh, felt really dirty for me. So it really just kind of compounded onto my dirty girl issues and my shame and my embarrassment and guilt. Because if I lost at being more powerful, right? I was really in the hole, really in the hole. And I tried to put other people in the hole with me. Did you see what he did? Did you see, right? And it really brought me out of integrity. But as soon as I found out that I didn't have to be a dictator, I could allow other people to make decisions and then deal with the wrong decision. If it was the wrong decision, I mean, how bad could it really be, right? And understanding that it was really about building other leaders, building other leaders. And I swear to God, the man that I saw, um, Oh my gosh, and I'm going to lose his name. He was in the plane crash, in the 1972 plane crash. He was one of the rugby players. Always oh, my favorite person of all time. Oh, isn't that awful? I will look him up. I know him. Okay. Um, isn't that awful? And, and you know, when they were, on the, when they were in those Andes Mountains, every time the leader died, a new leader emerged. Like, that was one of the biggest things that came out of that, was every time a leader died, a new leader, like in the face of danger, in the face of, of the worst case scenario, there was always another leader emerged. We will die. And if we don't make sure that there are leaders at Dobico, great leaders, or if we were, not if, when we, were, we are to explode and become multimillionaires, each and every one of us there at Dobico, if we don't have the people that are on the ground today, keeping that culture intact and keeping that leadership values that we've put in place that everybody is the owner and everybody makes their own decisions and you carry through your project as you see fit because we trust in you and we believe that you can do the best but if you fail i got your back every time i got your back and there's never a question so that servant leadership truly it's shoulder to shoulder truly in, in, in that space that you lead from, because you're finding, I often say, so my, my, what I talk about is authenticity in leadership, right? Like that when you become authentically connected to your 
um, space internally, what you do is you, you ignite that light in the person on your team in, in, on whatever level they're at, whether they're parallel to you or they're, they're frontline, they're equally as important, which is what you're saying that at Dovico, you, you do very, very well. We lead without titles. Doesn't matter what our title is. We lead without titles. Like, like lead. I, you know, make yourself the CEO. I remember one time, uh, uh, sales. Uh, my head of sales. You know, he takes care of the sales team. Came and he said, Ashley, they won't talk to me. Uh, they only will talk to like a. Um, uh, C-level executive, this particular mm -hmm. company, right? And I said, well, call yourself the C-O-O <laughs> then, you know? But with a tight level, call yourself the vice president. You know? <laughs> it's ridiculous, right? right, I mean, right, right. You know, so for us, true leader, well, for all of us there, really, it's not just me. True leadership is about service. It's about giving back. Um, it's about making sure that you're part of community. This is a community that we are in, we are living in. And, um, you know, it's so important, like in this time that we're going through right now with, with COVID-19, I mean, we have a policy, like if you want to work from home, work from home, you want to work from Starbucks, work from Starbucks, like I don't really, it doesn't really matter where you work, right? You have deadlines, you got to meet those deadlines, but today's day and age, if people don't work in bricks and mortar and they work, you know, different hours, right? So right. we got in place years ago. So right. for us with COVID-19, I mean, we never missed a beat. We're all set up. Everybody's got a computer at home. Everybody's got a great chair. Everybody's got, you know, everything they need. We have a VPN already set up ages ago. Right, right, right. But we never missed a beat. We, you know, we now do our, uh, we do Monday morning lives, right? Uh, um, but now we do, so we can see each other. We have a Zoom call going on in the right, background, right? Right, right. right. Um, it's important for us. We're very, uh, you know, we're a very huggy group. You know, we love to circulate good mornings and, and uh, we do things like coffee trains and we have a product called Slack. And, right, uh, right. I use it too with my assistant. So what's a coffee train? Tell me what you mean by a so, coffee. So somebody will say, hey, coffee train. And before we used to all go downstairs to Dolma, we have a cafe at, at Dovico provided uh, coffee, free coffee for everybody. But instead of having a coffee machine in the office, we all decided, you know what, we need to go down two flights of stairs every now and again. And we just, Dovico just pays for it, right? So mm -hmm. however many coffees the staff wants, go down and we got you. But you walk downstairs. So then it started to be like on Slack, somebody would say, coffee train. So it still happens, but they <laughs> workspace at home and they put themselves on and they, they, they do the coffee train, but they're going to the kitchen to get their coffee. What a nice thing. So, you know, let me ask you a question because I mean, you're a, I, I can just, your energy is amazing, Shelly. Like, so I could just imagine I'm feeling it by video and you're resonating with me. And I'm sure that when you were a younger leader, like you said, you went from the dictatorial kind of um, bureaucratic um, kind of step down where it didn't feel right to you and you knew you wanted to lead differently. So for leaders that are coming about and, you know, you know, we still, I think we're, we're shifting and especially in today, like a, um, a, an environment that we are today where all of a sudden people are having to lead um, virtually like something you've done a long time. 
true leadership qualities come out now because people really need to feel connected. Um, you know, the bottom line is the bottom line. We get that to your point. We have deadlines. We have all that stuff that we have to be able to, you know, quarterly um, and reports, all that stuff. So for leaders that are that struggle with that element of vulnerability, because clearly what I hear is I hear transparency. I hear uh, relational transparency. I hear perspective. Um, you know, I hear moral, moral perspective where you're trying to live within your integrity. Don't, these are all the authentic leadership principles that exist out there in the, in, in the literature. For a leader that's trying to make that shift, but they're, they're kind of stuck in that old kind of um, system. What kind of guidance would you kind of give someone like that to step into it? Because it's going to be uncomfortable for someone like that, right? Because they're a kind of accustomed to, you know, I, I orate and dictate and my guidance gets followed and yeah, there's productivity, but there's probably not the level of productivity um, that they could create had, had they create that synergy between, between your right. team. So what kind of guidance would you give them to kind of get comfortable with this kind of different leadership? Well, uh, first and foremost, you have to uh, invert your org chart. You have to actually put your front line at the top and put yourself at the bottom. And actually do that. Flip your org chart upside down and actually have them present that to the team. You are so important. But it, has, it can't come from a fake space. You know, they've got to feel it. Um, but they have to get that mindset. Um, on top of that, Jim Donald said it better. He was the ex-CEO of Starbucks. And what he said was, you have to be a freshman. So as the CEO, as that leader, you must be a freshman, a freshman forever. You're constantly learning these young kids that these millennials that we have coming in or now Gen Z, right? Who we all say, oh, they're so entitled and they're so, you know what? They have great, great information for you. Mm -hmm. Shut up and listen. Take a minute. You know what I mean? Because yeah. it's the new way. So if you don't know how to handle the new way, but you know, there's, there's so many people um, that actually ask me the same question and ask Eve the same question. Uh, how do you guys do it? We went as far as to build a product called Tuba to tell you the honest truth. And it's just launched um, to help to help the leaders within their organizations transition themselves. So they become one of the employees, if you will, within this part, just a community member within this product. And you are rated from your peers on how well you are trustworthy and how good your social um, security is and how great you do in, 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 um, uh, listening. What is your active listening skills like? And your peers will rate you and you'll get a really good community sense of how you're doing. And you can kind of go from there. Now, a lot of people have a really difficult time. Well, I don't, that's, that's your perspective. I think I'm good at this, but I don't know how my team would rate me. So in my book, I've done that is I have an assessment that the leader does on himself, him or herself. And then their teams does the same thing as the beginning of the training. And then they collate um, both of the assessments to, to, to me to really kind of look at the gap 
of what, what, you know, how am I, I think I'm, I think I'm pretty good at this, but my team's saying I'm not so good at this or whatever. So this, is it called tuba? Like, like the. So it's about, you know, you can toot your own horn if you wish, but, or have somebody else toot your horn. Um, But yeah, this would be a great product even for you because what it, what it is, you could just put it in and then you would be one of the people that could follow it along. Oh, wow. What's really interesting is, is you can actually see when alignment within your company goes down. Oh, why are we not aligned? Oh, a new product get introduced, but you know, I only told half the people. Mm. So of course the words are going around, right? Right, right, right. Part of that is, and it's done in a really kind way. Like when they told me that I was a really crappy listener, and I mean, that was my <laughs> lowest score. I was like, oh my God. So there's, there's also training. Um, there's little video training, but I went, I went a little step further and I went onto YouTube and, and uh, some TED Talks and how can I be a better listener? So for me, I had notifications turned on on a lot of my devices and people come in, talk to me all the time, but my device was always going off or my screen was always going off. So as I was looking at you, that device would go off and I'd be like, whoops, right? I'm taking my attention off of you. And right. so my, my listening, when I paid attention to, shoot, they really do think I'm a crappy listener and that's not, does not make it for a good leader. How do I become better? But I also said on our Monday morning meeting, I said, oh my God, you guys, I see that I'm a really crappy leader and I'm so sorry and I'm going to do everything <laughs> better at that. Right. Uh, everybody in the office did that at first. Some people were like, who put those algorithms together? Um, I don't think that's, that computer's right. Um, I think somebody's after me. You, know? <laughs> you get people doing that. And then all of a sudden, the light bulb goes off, right? You go through your different stages and you kind of go, you know what? Shoot, I'm really maybe not a great listener. And these things are happening. But it's, it's you know, it's amazing when you actually... <sighs> get the leaders to understand that they're just part of the community. Mm-hmm. And it's not about you having more power, but that is the biggest, uh, that's the biggest defeatism, if you will. I find like there's sometimes when, when uh, you know, leaders will come to me and they'll say, you know, so-and-so wants to be paid this and that'll actually make them be, like they'll be paid more than me. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, well, then do that. Like, if you think that's beneficial, do that. She's, oh, Shelly, I can't pay my people more than I make. And I'm like, wow. I mean, I did that for years. Mm -hmm. I I did that for years. I mean, I think it's really important to not do this in a fake way because people are going to see through that. You have to really feel that leadership is about service and about serving others and, Mm -hmm. and making sure that your company is going to stay um, in good standing because you've made these people feel like owners along with you. They know you have their back. Stop doing the work. Stop doing the work and build leaders. Find what their talents are and make sure that they're in that area. I get a guy who started with me. He was a programmer. Now he's the content writer. He started like, oh, I really like blogging. And he started blogging on his own and he wrote a book. And and then he came to me. He's like, I really don't like coding. I'm not really sure. I'm like, hey, we need more content. Yeah, Yeah. You know, so put people in the right places just because you hired them for one thing. I mean, to take somebody from programming to marketing is really a big swing. <laughs> That's quite the swing. Yes, for sure. 
Mm -hmm. can, you know, it can be done, you know, promote your people from within, find out what they're good at. Just because you might've hired them for one thing doesn't mean that they all of a sudden haven't found a passion for something else. And of course we know if they find their joy in it, they will be the, at the most creative and the most innovative that they can possibly be. A win-win. Absolutely. And, and to, to your point, when you invert that org chart and people see that you're seeing their value, um, how powerful is that, right? And that you're looking to say, hey, Roxanne, what's your, what's your strength? And, and I'm going to talk about what I'm really good at. And what you're doing is you're, you're elevating me feeling better about what I'm really, really good at. I mean, maybe I'm not good at that, but it's part of my job and I have to do it. But if I feel like you're honoring who I am and what I value and what I'm good at or what I'm, I aspire to be, and you're continually um, serving me in that way to bring that up, how, I mean, I'm going to shine. You will shine. You will shine each and every time. So, so many of us can cast shadows, right, across our light. And at Dovaco, um, not just at Dovaco, anybody I meet along the way, I what gets me really going is when I can find that light, when I can see their eyes all of a sudden sparkle for that amazing moment that they just had because they found a little spark of joy. They found little something. That's all we need to do with one another is really just stop tearing each other down and just really find a way to oh, help them shine their light. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to assume that just from, again, just feeling what, what you're talking about, that you live your life like that in alignment with what you value, whether it's at work or outside of work or in your relationships or in your community or, you know, whatever kind of role you're playing, you're living within that value. Um, so it's not like you hit Dovaco and you're like, Oh, I'm, I'm putting this CEO hat on and I've leave Dovaco and I'm going to be a different person. You're really congruent with really what you believe in value. And then you kind of promote that in whatever realm that you're in. Yeah, I don't believe in work, uh, work, what they call it, work home balance or work home. You got one life, man. You got yeah, one, yeah. You got one yeah. life, dude. Like, I don't know what, when people talk to me, oh, I need to have a little bit of work home balance. Like, I don't, you know, <laughs> what does that mean? Like, what does that mean? Like, do what you got to do. And I'm hoping after this pandemic that fathers will understand that taking off from work at three o'clock because that's when their kid gets off school and we're going to go for a bike ride because we did it when the, on the pandemic and now we're going to do it at work and leaders understand how important that is because that guy will end up getting some kind of revelation when he's up on that bike ride with his kid and he's going to apply that to something that is going to make you money if that's really what's important yeah to you. yeah but you're also going to have so much uh, more of a happy employee. So I'm really hoping employers are going to understand that some of these things that are happening during this pandemic are beautiful. People are becoming one with their family. I hope, you know, I'm well, well, what a, what a nice um, perspective, right? Because, you know, we hear about everybody trying to talk about isolation and all those things, but really it's like, you're right. If people are, we are, you know, some people would say forced, but I, I think it's a privilege to be able to be around your family members and still what you're doing for a living and be, you know, enjoying what you do and getting to, you know, be with your family. What, what a gift. 
So that shift might be something that will actually come back to the workplace. Like you're right, like the father that is able to, you know, kind of spend more time with his children at home versus maybe if mom's the primary one that takes that lead. And that makes him just a more well-rounded person. And then he brings that back to work. Absolutely. Um, and then just people that have never been virtual like you have um, that now has the element that I can still be or probably even more productive because I get to spend some time, then I get to go out and go for a walk with my, my wife, or I get to be able to, you know, put things on pause and read something that I want that's not related to work. Like, so it's that, it's that window into that we can actually do both and we can have a full life versus work means I work too much. And then I come home and I've barely got the energy to be able to kind of give back. I actually can, I can do both. I can do both. And, and that is, that is so important. And I'm, I'm, I'm hoping that, that it won't go back. I'm hoping that we actually have a new normal. And that means that dads or moms are gonna say, you know what, I'm not gonna book any meetings after three. If I have something to do later, I'll, I'll do it when the kids are down or I'll, right. you know, whatever it may be. I don't think it's necessary. We know, we know that people cannot think or do any, their, their best work comes in 50 minute chunks, right? Yep. 50 minute chunks, you know, take that 50 minutes, set the alarm on your phone and the next 10 minutes, get down and do some push-ups. you know, meditate for a few minutes, just be quiet for a moment, grab a book and, and uh, that's fiction and, and you know, <laughs> not work related. <laughs> you know, let's read something that's mindless. You know, you, yeah. your brain does need 10 minutes and I'm hoping that people actually see that because you know, darn tootin' what's happening when we're not in our office yeah, you know, the dryer is going off. So I'm going to run down and I'll grab the stuff out of the dryer or I'm going to get up and make myself a coffee, which takes a little bit longer than, you know, putting the thing under the Keurig. So interesting enough, I think that people are actually getting more breaks. What we're seeing in our marketing meeting anyways is a lot more creativity, mm. you know? So um, I think that people that didn't work at home, even though they were allowed to at Dovaco, but for whatever reason, they have young kids or whatever reason it was, um, I, some of them are actually finding their flow a lot better than they did at the office. You know, wow. we spend, we spend uh, a quarter of a million dollars on rent at our office. And I'm thinking hard that maybe we don't need to. Right, right. So you're going to see a lot of, I, I think, you know, so much of the media has been focusing on the negative, but really, I think, you know, to your point, it's the positive things that we can look, which is connection, going back to the basics, what's important, and that we can do both. We can, we can work and, and, and love what we do, but also love, love up on our families and have something left to be able to give, you know, give back, um, even though we're kind of maybe in the middle of our careers. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I don't, I, I, I implore everybody to look at this as a collective sigh. The earth needed it. I think every one of us needed it. Let's take a collective sigh. You know, I teach yoga and when we're really in that, oh, that space where you don't think you can make that, like you can't hold on another moment, right? We do the sigh. <sighs> yeah. Right? And yeah. we let that go and we let it go because we can't actually take another step unless we do let that sigh out. We know we, we can't. So the sigh happens. We're able to actually think for a moment. We're able to actually just take 
a second so we know what that next step is. And we were in trouble. I think that we were in trouble as humankind. And uh, I'm looking up as all this is a really good thing myself. You know, am I afraid? I am. I'm afraid. You know, I, I don't think that anybody in their right mind wouldn't say they're uh, not afraid. But you know what? I'm not afraid about money. Mm -hmm. Not what I'm afraid of. I'm afraid that my 85 year old mother and my 93 year old father might die alone in this, you know? Yes, of course. Um, That's probably my biggest fear to tell you the honest truth. I have a little vulnerability when I do go out groceries. I, 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 you know, I'm going to admit that. Um, But uh, leaders right now, and every one of us are leaders. Every human being on this planet is a leader and it is so important that everybody understands that. I don't care if you're an extrovert or an introvert, you are a leader and it's going to be so important that once this pandemic is done, that you lead and you lead with grace and you lead with love first and foremost. And I'm not talking about the desire love. I'm talking about with your heart wide open with as much purity as you can possibly muster because what's going to happen is we get to start again. Mm-hmm. We get to start again. And I don't, it, it hasn't been since 1918 really that people got to start again. Hopefully we won't have those kind of losses. Um, I think this is just the tip of the iceberg for us. I think that we need to um, make sure that we understand what this collective sigh is and I, uh, I implore those who can really find it within themselves to go one step further and you are the hero and the yes. world is waiting for you. We all need to be a hero through this and to learn from it. Now, Shelley, this has been amazing. And, um, you know, I have gained so much today and having you in my book will be an amazing, like a gift. I truly think that um, not only teams, but leaders can learn from it. What am I taking away? that we're all leaders. So, you know, give everybody um, the space to, to lead and to find their strength. So thanks for spending the time with us Thank today. Thank you. Thank you. So this is Roxanne Durhaj. If you're needing anything uh, related to mental health and well-being, I also have a course on relationships. If you're wanting to learn more about how to enhance your relationships, you just go to RoxanneDurhaj.com and there's a link there. Thanks for tuning in to Authentic Living with Roxanne, creating the space for positive, healthy change. Roxanne is a keynote speaker, psychotherapist, and coach. To work with Roxanne, visit roxanderhajcom slash blueprint. We'll see you next time on Authentic Living with Roxanne.